Well, some people love them. Some people's houses are filled with them. Other people have never bought one in their life. Right now, you've all got one in your hands or on the shelf in front of you. I'm talking about books. Books can change the world. Uh, just think of the impact of books like Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species or Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. Just those two books caused major upheaval in science, religion, politics and international relations. Books can change the world and they can change us. When I was uh, doing my A-levels at school, I decided I wanted to go to university, study law and become a barrister. So I brought an introductory textbook about learning the law. And I only had to uh, read a few pages to know that choosing a law degree was a bad idea for me. So I cancelled my place at Manchester University and took a gap year. Now, if I hadn't read that book, if I'd gone to Manchester to study law, well, I wouldn't be standing here today doing what I do now. Books can change your life. And some books can change your eternal life. And that's what we're looking at this morning, the Gospel according to John, a book that right around the world has changed people's lives for eternity which is exactly what John wanted his book to do. Have a look down with me again at chapter 20, verse 30, at page 1090, just above where it says, Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish. I'll read it again. It's only a couple of verses. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are, that the ones that are recorded, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So right here, the author, John, is telling us why he wrote his book. He wrote it because he wants his readers to have life. But what does that actually mean? After all, if you're reading the book, it's pretty much guaranteed you're alive already. Well, perhaps he means he wants us to have the best possible life, the longest life, the happiest life, the life with the least suffering. That's the sort of thing doctors care about, keeping us as healthy as possible for as long as possible. But when John talks about having life, he doesn't mean that. He's talking about something much deeper, richer and longer lasting, something much much more satisfying than just basic standard issue life. It's not talking about improving our biological life that we were born with. It's talking about being filled with the life of God. And John knew about this life because he was taught by Jesus who said rather a lot about it. And one of the things Jesus often used to describe life from God was water. Just imagine with me uh, a dry and cracked desert. It hasn't rained for years. The bones of animals bleached 
white by the sun are lying at the edges of where pools of water used to be. In this desert, nothing lives. It is dead. And then imagine some engineers get their diggers and reroute a major river and send it pouring and rippling across the surface of that desert. What would happen? In a few days, seeds lying dormant in the earth would begin to sprout. Flowers would bloom. The insects would return. Then the birds, then smaller creatures, larger creatures. Trees would begin to grow and eventually a great forest would grow up around that river, teeming with life. Water makes things live. Without water, there's only death. And what's true for the desert is true for us. If we go without water for just a few days, our insides dry up, our organs would start to fail and we would die. And so like rerouting that river, we have to constantly uh, move water physically into our bodies. We have to come to a water source with a cup and keep filling it up and filling it up over and over, constantly drinking. That is life. But now imagine you could have a fountain fitted inside you, a permanent inner source of water, always flowing, always refreshing you. You could be thousands of miles from the nearest source of water and yet fully and fearlessly alive. Well, Jesus said life from God is the spiritual equivalent of having a fountain fitted inside you. Do you remember the conversation he had with a woman at the well in Samaria when she came to uh, put her bucket down into the well to get water to drink? He said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. We are born spiritually dehydrated. In fact, Jesus says we're spiritually dead. Like that dead desert, we need a, a spring of life-giving water in our souls. But the water he offers us is, of course, not actual water, not hydrogen and oxygen. The water of life Jesus spoke of is the Holy Spirit, God himself, in us, welling up to eternal life. And the reason God's life can do that in us is because his life is not like our life. There's no cosmic tap that God has to keep drinking from to stay alive. He is life, he self-exists. Life flows from him, he's the source. So when the spirit of the living God flows in you, then you are truly alive. Then you are connected to the source of life itself. Then you know God as your father. That is what John wants for his readers. Not a better biological life, but the deep down satisfaction 
of union with God, having the Spirit of God overflowing in you like a fountain of life. But how can any book give us that? There are plenty of books promising to connect you to the spiritual world or awaken your spiritual life. I was a little bit surprised uh, at the, uh, the bookshop in Coleman's, I don't know, been to Coleman's Garden Centre in Temple Patrick? Some of us have been there. At the bookshop there, I was a bit surprised to find a whole table of books on witchcraft, magic spells, and how to communicate with spiritual powers. Clearly, they think people around here are hungry to discover the spiritual side of life. But those books won't help. Had a little look through. They only really teach you to look inside, to discover the power in you, to be your own source of life. Like telling a desert without water to bring itself alive. They don't work. But what makes John's book any different? How can his gospel connect us to God himself so that his life is poured out into our hearts? Well, have a look with me again at verse 30. We read it one more time. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The way to have life is to believe in Jesus. And so John's aim in his book is to persuade his readers that Jesus is no ordinary man. His aim is to persuade his readers that Jesus, that carpenter from Nazareth, is in fact Israel's long-awaited Christ, the Son of God, so that we believe in him. It's no good be just, just being spiritual. It's no good being religious. No good being interested in faith or baptised or regular at church. It's no good agreeing there's a God. No, John wants to persuade us to put our trust in a particular person called Jesus. It's like the equivalent of me saying, you can have life from God if you believe in a man called Simon Adams from 32 Bramley Lane in Bolton near Manchester. It's, it's so specific, this one particular man. John wants us to believe in this man called Jesus, whose mum was called Mary, who grew up in a place called Nazareth a very long time ago, a very long way from here. Why? because he and not anyone else is the Son of God. And if we want life from God, we must come to God through his Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you do not know the Son, you cannot know the Father, and you cannot receive his Holy Spirit. To have the life of God, you must believe in the man Jesus. But isn't that really exclusive? Doesn't that write off people of other faiths? Why just Jesus? Well, it is because of our sins. We can have no access to our holy God unless our sins are paid for. 
And Jesus told his disciples very clearly that being the Son of God meant being the one who would die for his people's sins. No one else has died for us. No one else can remove the cause of our spiritual deadness and separation from God. No one else can put things right between us and God, only his son Jesus. And yet his, his death on the cross is the very thing that makes people discount Jesus. You can't get crucified and then claim to be the son of God. For Jews especially, that seems impossible. The book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament says, if you're hung on a tree, like in crucifixion, you are cursed by God. How can you be cursed and the Christ? How can Jesus be the Son of God? What evidence is there? We heard last week how normal it is to want evidence. Thomas the disciple said unless he saw Jesus standing alive in front of him with wounds in his hands and side to prove it's really him, never would he ever believe Jesus was alive. But we heard at the start of the service when he saw Jesus and saw his wounds, he said, my Lord and my God. John wrote this book to contain his accounts of a number of Jesus' signs, miracles, to persuade people that Jesus really is God's Son. He really is the Christ. And though he was crucified in dishonor, he really was raised in glory. It's not just the words of John's Gospel that change people's lives. It's the person those words reveal to us. It's Jesus. John wants everyone to meet Jesus in the pages of his gospel as they see him turn water into wine, feed the 5,000, walk on water, and rise from the dead. John wants people to meet the real Jesus, to put their faith in him and be filled with the Spirit of God like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's not exclusive. It's inclusive. He wrote his book to put eyewitness evidence in the palms of everyone's hands so that we all have a chance to believe and live. And I want to finish up by thinking of one way that you could get John's gospel in the hands of someone you know so that they might believe. Earlier this week, I tuned into the live stream of an event that took place in Kigali in Rwanda. It's called the Global Anglican Future Conference. Uh, I was just watching it for a short while and immediately I switched it on. I heard a familiar voice. The voice of a man called Rico Tice, a minister at All Souls Church next to the BBC headquarters in London, who I've been taught by on many occasions. Now at this conference, uh, there were 1,300 Anglican Christians ministers, bishops, and archbishops from all around the world, 53 different countries represented. And Rico Tice was helping to introduce the entire conference to something called uh, the Word One-to-One. I got a copy of it here, this thing. The Word One-to-One, it's a way of reading John's Gospel with a friend. Uh, It comes in this book format, or you can get it on your smartphone or tablet, stuff like that. And what it is, is in here is the Gospel of John divided up into sort of bite-sized sections 
with some notes to explain what each verse means. And the idea is you and a friend or a few friends uh, read the verses quietly over a cup of tea, chat through the notes that are there for everyone to see, and think about a question that comes at the end. It's that simple. And the reason Rico Tice was flagging it up is because through simply reading John's Gospel like this, hundreds of people have come to faith. And so he wants people all around the world to know about this so they can use it. Because what he believes is that although this gospel was written 2,000 years ago almost, it's still changing lives for eternity today. Jesus is still changing lives today through his word. And my prayer is that we get changed and Glenn Gormley gets changed. And getting John's gospel into our hearts, into people's hands, is a great way to do that. So to close this morning, I'd like to hear from you if uh, you fall into any of the following categories. If you would like to use this word one-to-one, -one, these notes, to read John's Gospel through for yourself, let me know, it'd be a really helpful thing to do. Uh, if you would like to meet with one or two other people at St. Bridget's to read John's Gospel together using these notes, let me know, we could arrange that. And if you'd like to learn how to use this word one-to-one -to, -one to read John's Gospel with somebody you know who doesn't yet know Jesus, come and let me know. There's a fantastic three-part training course that I'd love to lead some of you through to help you invite a friend to come and turn the pages of John's Gospel with you, to read the notes with you, and to find out about Jesus for themselves. It's a really helpful course makes the point you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be trained particularly. You don't really need to be fully sure of everything you believe. You're just there to help them turn the pages and read this book for themselves. Because it was written by John to introduce people to Jesus so that they can believe in him and have everlasting life. So now let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your disciple and friend, John, who wrote this gospel to introduce us to you. Thank you for the life that you've poured out in our hearts. And we pray that through the pages of scripture, and especially John's gospel, many more would find out about you, Lord Jesus, believe in you and have everlasting life. Please help us to be a church that reaches out and puts your words into people's hands. And we ask this in your name, amen.